1: All right. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Vanessa Haddock. It's uh, July 28, 2021 and we're out in Dundee today. Uh, thank you so much, Vanessa, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, first question, as you know, is why wine?
2: Why wine? Such a simple question and a complicated answer. Um, I think today as it stands is just the community, the focus on the land, and just the idea of The earth giving us a product that we get to make something so wonderful out of um i personally am grew up in a family where we always had dinner together and sat around a table and just the way that wine unites people and brings people together together over a meal um at the end of the day that's that's where my passion comes from Mm -hmm. um it's just that togetherness Mm -hmm. and that that sharing of stories food wine etc um yeah That's where I am today. I grew up in the wine industry though, like around the wine
1: industry. Well, let's talk about that. Tell tell us about growing up.
2: Yeah, so I grew up in Salinas, California. Um, My father was in the wine industry for many decades. Um, He worked down in Gonzales at what was then the Monterey Vineyard and has since been bought out and bought out and Seagram's and Constellation now owns it. Um, But as a kid just would go to the winery with my dad all the time. You know, if we didn't have school or a summer break, my brother and I would go, we'd take our bikes, we'd bring bread, feed the ducks in the duck pond, it was just around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as part of that, you know, industry events and harvest parties, and we had lots of family friends in the industry as well. So um, again, just that convivial nature mm-hmm. and going to a harvest party and the whole family getting to go and there's like fun stuff outside for the kids to do and the parents and just that mm-hmm. familial sense of it. Um, was just a huge part of my upbringing, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I never really realized to go into wine until much later in my life. So, yeah.
1: So tell us about your kind of education. Uh, what did you What did you do after high school?
2: Yeah, so after high school, I uh, first and foremost, my my mother's Australian, so I grew up going back and forth to Australia. I grew up traveling. I'm half Australian citizen, etc um and it was just always a really important thing to our family um internationally was predominantly to go to australia to visit family and friends um but it just it even at a young age sparked my interest, and i just loved being out in a different world and different money and different transportation and different accent and different slang and so when i finished high school i sat there and thought okay what can I study that will enable me to study abroad and travel abroad as much as I possibly can during my college career? I don't know exactly what I wanna do with that, but I know that I have passion there. Um, so I decided to study international relations. Uh, I actually went to UC Davis and unlike a lot of people in our industry who went there, I didn't go for wine. <laughs> I, I just fell in love with the campus, I fell in love with the community, um, with the school and decided that was it so studied international relations a big focus on economics political science you know kind of thought i was going to go down the government route the diplomacy route that was something else i had a lot of interest in and um actually quite early in my college career kind of things started to gel i um as i mentioned before my dad worked in the wine street for many years at that point in in my life, he had moved to the spirit side. So he worked for Sky Vodka, which was an an upstart, you know, up and coming hot new brand type thing back then, 100,000 cases or some small number. Um, And as kind of like a big high school graduation, brouhaha celebration, my parents decided to take me and my brother to Europe and do a little European adventure, Um, again, we had traveled internationally, but always Australia. So never really been to another country like that. And um, while there, we went and visited the headquarters of who then owned or who was partners, who was then partners with Sky Vodka, which was Campari. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be introduced to the high ups there and the president. And I was 18 and kind of, you know, a little bold and basically just said, do you think I could maybe have an internship at some point in the future? And just stuck my hand out Uh, and asked the question. And he was incredibly receptive. And he said, yeah, keep in touch. You know, I was just about to start my freshman year at Davis and that was obviously the focus. And he said, just let's keep the line of communication open and and let's keep talking. Mm -hmm. And I actually decided after my first year or during my first year at school that I kind of wanted to just go for it. So I reached out and brought it up. He said, we would love to have you. Why don't you come have an internship with us for the summer? And I mean, mind blowing first and foremost, um, but secondly, just to have that opportunity at that age and that ability to make that happen. I, I've, I I don't know how to say it. I, I've loved to work my entire life. So like, you know, I was babysitting and saving money and I worked in restaurants all through high school and so I had this nice little nest egg to go into college. Um, I say that because as part of my internship in order to get credits, school credits from UC Davis, they couldn't pay me and so it had to be kind of in kind for credits and it, at Europe or in Europe, or at least at Campari, they just did not understand that concept. Like, what do you mean free? Like, what do you mean we can't pay you? You're gonna be working for us for the summer. It's like, that's that's how it works. Um, and so they unprompted decided that they were going to pay for all of my room and board in, as a thank you, as a roundabout way of, of being able to pay me while still saying legit. So they put me up in a like studio apartment, you know, I'm. Right near Monaco, Monte Carlo, like where the head office is, Um, they gave me grocery. What are they called? They were called like red tickets or red dot tickets. They were basically like vouchers. You can go spend at the grocery store. So it was it was wild. They paid for my transportation to and from the office. It was, I mean, you couldn't make this up, right? Mm -hmm. Um, All because I just was, you know, not embarrassed enough to just ask. (laughs) Honestly. the worst they could have said was no. I was a stupid 18 year old, you know, what What? what, what are they gonna care, whatever. Um, so I did that. The summer after my first year, I was 19, just again, mind-blowing, I was living in a little town next to Monaco called Menton, or Monton, I don't speak French very well. Um, and, you know, ran to Italy every morning as my workout and got to, Work out of Campari headquarters and look up at the castle on the hill. I mean, it was just it was mind blowing, um, and just kind of showed up. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what they were going to have me do. Didn't know where they were going to put me. If this was a joke, um, and they decided to plot me in the marketing department, and you know. A lot of internships, I think, do really well, or interns do really well when they have a focus, a project, you know, something tangible that they're achieving or completing over the course of their internship. Mm -hmm. And so they had me go through all of their closets of marketing material and POS and organize and archive it all. And it was like, I liked it. I like to organize. I love, you know, and so I'm sitting here and I'm going through like, 20-year-old ad copy from Campari and you know all these beautiful spirits and wine brands and liquor brands that they have and I just kind of like the light bulb went on a little bit just like okay I work for an alcohol company I could get paid for talking about alcohol all the time okay this is interesting um and it just kind of like planted the bug in my ear Still didn't know I was gonna go into wine, but that was kind of my first foray into the alcohol world. Um, I'm totally meandering down that path now, but uh, yeah, that was the start. So, um, went back to Davis for year two, and, you know, I got itchy feet again. <laughs> it was like- not really I, compare. Yeah, it was like, I knew I wasn't probably gonna stay in that one place for the last three years of my school. So then I was like, okay, how can I work the system? Like, how can I leverage this and find the loopholes to use this to my advantage of what I wanna do, which is experiences and traveling and and really figuring it out. Um, So I decided second year that spring to do a study abroad program in London, going down that marketing path again, um, which done via the UC Davis study abroad center was just straight transfer of credits because it was all very organized. Again, going down the marketing path, but they put me with um, an economic development alliance firm. Mm -hmm. Basically, they worked with uh, specific states in the US, and what they did was companies or or products or industries in those states that were interested in pursuing business in Europe, this firm was basically doing all the market research to understand if there was a market, if there was a consumer need for these products that were being, Pitched from America, so things like lawnmowers and those types of just tangible things that we take for granted. You know, my job was to go and see, okay, how many people have lawns in Europe? Like, how many people? How many lawnmowers are currently sold? What kinds of lawnmowers are currently sold? That kind of stuff. So, just really understanding market side of marketing. Um, so, I did that. That was in London, um, and then. I mentioned earlier, my mother's Australian. I'm dual citizen, so I have the freedom to kind of go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I also have the freedom to be able to use the university system down in Australia, um, which is mind blowing. And we won't go down the college cost path compared to America. But um, so, again, I came back from London for my three month internship, and then I basically just moved down to Australia. And um, I lived the rest of the year down there, so it would have been, I don't know, 2004, maybe. Um, so, I was there for about six months, enrolled in the University of Sydney, and um, I'd, I'd actually done a PELP, a planned educational leave from Davis, so I withdrew for the semester to be able to enroll the University of Sydney um, for the semester, and down there I studied more kind of on the politics government side. So, I did Australian government, Australian history, you know, just really kind of immersing myself in that culture. And while there, kind of picked up from my high school um, restaurant days and took jobs working in hospitality and working in restaurants and you know getting more into that side of things, but now having kind of a little bit of an alcohol framework mm-hmm. that I had experienced. Um, so yeah, that was just actual work experience while studying, etc. Well, I kind of realized halfway through the semester that since the University of Sydney was on semester program, but UC Davis was on quarter program, so 10 weeks instead of 16, that my semester credits from University of Sydney when transferred to the quarter system, like multiplied a time and a half. So I ended up graduating early because I studied abroad and so many times and the transfer. Very strange. Um, this is all going somewhere, I promise. It's just a very long story. Um, Anyways, finished Australia, came back for the last year and a quarter of school, graduated a quarter early, so I got out a few months before my actual walk, graduation walk would have been. Um, again, obviously you're noticing a trend, I'm obsessed with traveling. And I was like, you know what, I finished early, I'm not walking for three months. Instead of just like going straight into the work world and trying to find my first career job, like I'm going to go reward myself. So. I decided to buy a two-way ticket, or you know, round-trip ticket to Europe, and a rail pass, and then just went and backpacked around Europe for a couple months by myself. And I'm getting to the wine part, I swear. So,
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, as part of this trip, you know, I was just bopping around different countries. I'd go where I wanted. I'd wake up, and the beauty of Ural and Eurail pass and all that stuff. Um, so, I was in Italy at the time, and I was in Cinque Terre. And so I was staying in one of the fishing villages in Rio Maggiore, and was I was staying in hostels as cheap as I could while I was traveling. And in this hostel I checked into, it was a shared room with four other people. There were two brothers from Brazil and then two best friends from, I want to say, Michigan. And, you know, you do the niceties, you meet each other, you talk, where are you from, share stories. And we all ended up spending the entire day together and just hung out and walked around and checked out Rio Maggiore and, you know, being tourists together and whatever. And we just had such a great time. We ended up going to dinner. And so we're sitting in this like beautiful little mom and pop Italian restaurant. We're eating pasta, like you can tear the ocean. We're drinking red wine. And like, I sat there and I was like, I met these people today and I feel like, I'm going to know these people for the rest of my life. And that's when the light bulb went on. And that is what wine is to me. Wine to me is that connection and that experience and that punctuation to the human connection. Um, The togetherness, the eating, the sharing, the breaking of bread. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the moment when I knew I wanted to go in the wine industry. Mm -hmm. It was done. It was just like, I know it. It's that, yeah, I had that moment. So I came back, and you know, at the time, once I graduated, I was just doing some administrative work, I was doing some temp office work, that kind of stuff. And um, I worked at Sacramento State in the, I'm gonna forget the name, the, not the president's office, but basically administrative, the president of the university, the VP of the university type thing, just mm-hmm. supporting their staff. And what was supposed to be a two-week temporary assignment extended into a six-month temporary assignment um, because they we liked each other and they liked my work and I liked working for them. And they were the most incredible people to work for because I was pretty honest about, you know, I'm earning my money and, you know, I'm gonna start my career. and And so even though the two weeks was supposed to end and then I was going to, you know, just live off my savings to try to find a job, they were like, nope, you can keep working here. We will support you going to interviews, whatever you need, you need a reference. I mean, it was incredible. And, you know, I think, one thing that I've experienced and I try to give back is all of these people along my way who have mentored me, who've given me opportunities, who haven't laughed in my face when I've asked ridiculous things, you know, who've offered proactively to support and to mentor and to, to provide guidance.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, and that changed my life, you know, having that, that support and people who believed in me because of what I could do for them helped me go on to my next level. Um, And so, so I started applying and I was in Sacramento at the time. So, you know, I'm looking at Napa, I'm looking at Sonoma and just trying to figure out what that looks like. And uh, I just started applying to different roles and marketing departments at at larger wine companies. Um, Actually, this is a little bit of a funny story. I'll try to tell it. Treasury Wine Estates, Um, at the time they were fosters. I had uh, applied for a marketing assistant position, and when I interviewed, at the end of the conversation, it became clear this wasn't really a marketing coordinator position, it was basically an admin assistant position, um, tangential to the marketing department. And I kind of sat there, and I was like, you know, I've been doing admin assistant work all through college, and I think I'm ready for the next step beyond that. I, you know, I, I think I'm qualified beyond that path, and so I declined the offer, I was like, I'm I'm not going to just take it because I got offered. I'm going to stick with my guns. I ended up interviewing with Beam Wine Estates, so the wine division of Jim Beam, which is now defunct, but um, based out of Healdsburg. So I moved to Healdsburg, and I got a marketing coordinator position, and I was, again, fortunate enough to be put on the luxury portfolio. and there, you know, luxury meant estate-based, vineyard-based wineries versus just brands, right? So I got to work on some amazing brands right off the get-go. I got to work for Atlas Peak, Buena Vista, Gary Farrell, Wattle Creek, William Hill. Um, and I just really got to immerse myself in, again, the land-based, mm-hmm. the estate-based, mm-hmm. all that I am passionate about in terms of that, that tide of the land. Um, My first boss was incredible. His name's Brian Carr. And one, he's brave to hire this new grad who's never really done this stuff. And, you know, I remember I was assigned an Excel spreadsheet project and me not having known how to use to Excel, you know, I'm sitting there like adding on my calculator the formulas between cells (laughs) and I'm showing it to him. He's like, whoa. And 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 I look back and I'm like, that was laughable. I mean, how little I knew and how much faith and trust he put in Mm -hmm. hiring someone like me Mm -hmm. um and I remember I mean there's a lot I remember about Brian he's amazing but I remember he told me the simplest yet most effective piece of advice that I've ever had in my career which was use your resources that simple and you know at times when I knew I didn't know what I was doing or I didn't have the confidence or the faith in the direction I was going just having his voice in the back of my head saying, "Use your resources. Like, find any way to find a solution to your problem. Search, look, ask, inquire, etc." I mean, it was just it, again so simple but so effective, um, especially in those moments of maybe self doubt or not knowing what the hell I'm doing. Um, so yeah, he was my first, you know, big influence on my career. Um, incredible time working for Beam, worked with amazing brands, amazing people. About a year and a half into my time there, Constellation bought us out. Um, And, you know, I was still green enough and young enough and single enough and free enough that I was flexible, right? And and as a kind of worker support source, I think they saw that potential. They probably also recognized a 23-year-old relocating them is going to be a lot more cost effective than, you know, you know. fill in the blanks um and so i interviewed with them to keep my job basically but it turned into a a marketing promotions coordinator type role out of the head office in san francisco head of constellation office so um yeah they relocated me to the city that was probably 2007 i think eight 2008 um and yeah i started working in marketing and, you know, whereas before I'd been on kind of the marketing coordinator Mm -hmm. brand management side, Mm -hmm. this was more on the trade marketing side, trade promotions. So working extremely closely with our distribution team, our FOB team um, for regional programming, in-store programming, you know, ordering 400 wine display racks to be shipped out to Safeways across the U.S. and, you know, just in the thick of it. Mm -hmm. And... um, you learn your stripes at Constellation. You learn so much working for a big organization like that. Um, the ins and outs, the good, the bad. Uh, it's. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't encourage anyone enough, no matter what industry they're going into, the value of corporate. Mm-hmm. The value that comes with experience of working in that type of a setting. I know it's really easy and Pop, more popular than ever to kind of treat corporate as this big ugly thing and this this horrible black cloud and i don't have that perspective i i am able to look at what that time was and that experience as literally earning my stripes and building my foundation of my business knowledge my marketing knowledge etc mm-hmm. um okay um so i spent about six years of Constellation. I was fortunate to work with some incredible people. I had an amazing boss, Amy Kupek, who, you know, she kept us accountable. She taught us a lot. She helped us learn the ins and the outs, the ropes, the different angles to take when you approach a problem or, you know, yeah. Chinese New Year's a thing so you got to plan around it you got to place your orders for a million dollars before January and you know just all these things that you, you amass in knowledge working in an environment like that um, the structure of an organization that has multiple wineries and multiple brands mm-hmm. the things you learn from that mm-hmm. the tools and let's not forget the resources you have when you work at a large company like mm-hmm. that, a large corporation so you know, I go back to Brian Carr in my head use your resources and there were resources there you know, from human resources, dedicated teams that worked on consumer insights, and, and IRI and Nielsen scan data, and data analytics, et cetera, to an in-house counsel, and being able to sit through legal presentations about marketing compliance, and the do's and not to do's, and uh, why this matters, why this doesn't type thing. You know, learning 50 states, sets of 50 different state laws in terms of alcohol regulation, couponing, programming, shipping, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I, I did that, I was promoted up to kind of national promotion. So then I was more aligned with the brand management teams and developing national programs that we pushed out across the U S. Um, whereas my previous role was really helping from the bottom up, helping regional programming. Um, and then eventually moved back to the brand management side and, again, got to work on incredible brands. I worked on Blackstone, um, which at that point, you know, it started to kind of lose some of the big cachet they'd had before, but just really a very consumer-centric brand, mm-hmm. consumer price point. Um, but then I also got to work on Franciscan, Mount Veeder, and Wild Horse. And, I mean, those are three incredible wineries. Uh, historically, their impact in the industry, I mean, I think at the time I was working on Franciscan and Mount Veeder, they were top 10 most restaurant distributed wines their, you know, their cabs in the US they were iconic um, so again just again back to a state based mm-hmm. mm-hmm. one can say the word luxury but I, I, I'm not a fan of the word luxury first of all but again the land the story the history mm-hmm. the tie to Napa and how Napa was founded in that um, it was pretty incredible mm-hmm. um, so I spent six years there I I got to the point in my constellation time where I just kind of realized it was time to move on, and you know I wanted to get some more experience, um, you know, with either a different wine company or a winery. My goal is always my goal had always been to you know earn my chops, whatever. yeah, earn my chops, mm-hmm. um, and then be able to work for privately owned, be able to work for family owned wineries in the future. Mm-hmm. So. I kind of had that Mm long-term vision to look towards. Um, So at that time, I... How did it work? I was already very seriously planning to leave. Oh, I remember. Okay. Travel comes back into just about everything. So I had taken a few weeks off. A girlfriend and I went down to Peru because we wanted to hike to Machu Picchu. And we did the, like, the four-day no phones, no electricity, no toilets, you know, hike in, hike out, you know, that type of thing. And, um, you know, I think something that a lot of us, especially here in America need more of, which is an extended period of time off, um, to absorb and digest and unwind and just really think Mm. and really give ourselves the space to get out of our world and grow. Um, so I will say that that hike, for the first time in my life, I truly understand the meaning of living in the present and being in the moment and, you know, being on this trail and the, I mean, the steps that we were walking on were made by people hundreds and hundreds of years ago and not having all of our modern day luxuries and just being so disconnected, I think helped me get back connected with myself. I kid you not, (laughs) at the end of that trip, after having realized, you know, okay, big epiphany, blah, blah, blah. uh, It was probably the, I don't know, Thursday or Friday before weekend. And I'm, you know, been thinking a lot about this and how am I going to frame this? Where am I going to look? What am I going to do? And I get a call on Monday morning. So four days later. And it's Treasury Wine Estates. And they were headhunting. And, you know, I had started interview processes over the years with other companies and gone to points and decided nope I'm I'm good where I am um but I I kind of had a realization when they reached out to me for context I was 27 maybe at the time living in San Francisco single working in the big city and their role was for a job out of Napa well out of airport park way airport park driveway whatever in Napa um in an office and I just kind of was like mm, I, uh, I don't I don't know that I'm ready at this point in my life to move to Napa um you know living in the city was like a dream um but I knew there needed to be a change whether it's leaving San Francisco or whatever so I kind of like just going with the flow of the conversation had another light bulb moment where I said you know I don't really want to work in Napa as much as I appreciate you know you reaching out but is there any way you can put me in contact with HR out of your Australian office because I'd love to start a convo with them and they were like absolutely for sure why not um, Treasury Wine States is headquartered out of Melbourne in Australia and because of my citizenship I have the ability to work there without visa or permanent residence any mm-hmm. issue um, and so I started a conversation with them and I got an interview for a assistant brand manager role fairly soon in the process. Um, so I want to say, you know, my Peruvian trip was November. This would have been December. Continued the interview process in January. All via, you know, video message. And this was before the days of Zoom. This was 2012, 13. Um, you know, Skyping. It's basically
1: carrier pigeons at that point. It's
2: exactly. Like, I look back and I laugh at how... <laughs> I mean, I can't, I have Zoom calls today that drop out, you know, but that it worked back then. Anyways, back then, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, And interviewed for this role, end up being offered the role, got my package and contract and quit Constellation and three weeks later moved back down to Australia to work for Treasury. Um, And well, there's funny things but it's another corporate environment Mm -hmm. and so here i am thinking okay worked for this big corporate company in in california i'm gonna go work for this other corporation and see like how they do things differently or you know how i can apply my knowledge how i can take knowledge and different company halfway around the world and there were so many similarities (laughs) to my experience of constellation the good and the bad right um kind of mind-blowing, really, that could be so different. Um, <laughs> as has been kind of a pattern in much of my career, when I started a role, and if I've done reasonably well at it, I tend to get more responsibility. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I started working on a few of the estate brands down there, I worked on, um, you know, Wins Kunawara, I worked on Coldstream Hills, and eventually made my way up to marketing manager, brand manager level, and by the time I left Treasury, and this would have been, I've spent two years there, um, I was managing all of the, lux- all the state-based properties, all of the little gems, you know, that in a corporate world often, when you only make 100,000 cases because you're a luxury brand, you're tiny. <laughs> and so here I am like hawking some of the highest priced wines in the portfolio, but with the lowest cases, you get the lowest num- amount of marketing spend. So again, getting creative, using my resources, seeing how I could pool, you know, money between brands to make things happen, and I i think when I ended, I was managing 16 or 17 different wine brands by that point. Um, yeah. And it's weird to look back, because I can't believe it was only two years, because it feels like it was such a long, such a long time there. Um, So that was my Australian chapter, number two. So, you know, I'm very direct and open and open book whatever um studied uh women's studies and I forgot to mention that UC Davis my minor was uh women and gender studies as well which I just kind of fell into and fell in love with the study of gender and historical and present day and feminism and all that so you know like any good undergraduate after they take a class like women's studies I became hardcore feminist you know I it, did it's I think it's inevitable when you study you go to that extreme I've, I've you know found the balance now but at that time um, still being single and being halfway of the world before I had moved to Australia um, I actually was in a relationship with my now husband um, and fell deeply madly in love timing in our lives wasn't right I wanted to do my time in Australia um, he had Become a father soon before we started, and so he was still on that early journey in his life, and um, you know decided to take our time out. Well, while living in Australia, um, this is so going down a different path, but you know we've we kept in contact, and I came back for a visit once for a friend's wedding in California, and and he came down to visit, and we just kind of had that moment where we realized like time was right again. So, I decided to do the most antithetical thing to my existence, which was move to Oregon to be with the love of my life. Um, of course, in my true feminist strong female way, I made sure I had something else to align with that move. So, um, I enrolled at Portland State uh the MBA program so that I, you know, I'm going for my MBA program. Oh, yeah, and then there's also this man there that, you know, that's why I'm moving to Oregon and not back to California or San Francisco type thing. Um,
1: the only MBA program you could find was, uh, the, was only,
2: the only program I could find <laughs> was Portland State. Just happened to be. Um, and actually, it's funny because during my phone interview with them, because I was still in Australia at the time, I remember distinctly using the phrase that Brian Carr had taught me, which was, use your resources. I'm a resourceful person, like I will find a way. Anyways, on top of all of that, being in the wine industry and seeing what was happening in Oregon and seeing the growth, seeing the interest, seeing the attention that was happening in Oregon, uh, it was kind of the perfect combination, right? Um, And it was, it just felt like in all the right ways, the right next step for me. and i mean it, even when i told colleagues friends and family in australia about moving to oregon they were like oh my god i've heard oregon's beautiful the hiking the outdoors like Portlando was really hot then and so everyone knew about portland you know like it or hate it <laughs> um and so yeah moved here and i had this was kind of the first time i'd ever really done this i just quit and i moved here i didn't have a job to come to i was like I'll drive for Uber if I have to. I don't care. I can hustle. I can figure it out. Um, And I moved here in the spring of 2015 and started my search. And ironically, (laughs) uh, the first place I went wine tasting at six months before I got the job was at my eventual employer, which was Sokol Blosser. Um, And they hired me into their marketing department. Um, and you know, I've, I've shared this with the Sokol Blosser family. I very honestly that I wasn't very familiar with their winery when I came here and shame on me, whatever you want to say, I wasn't super familiar and it became very quickly clear how integral they were, they are to the Oregon wine industry, mind-blowingly so. And, you know, besides just the deep, roots and the family and the story and you know just innovation and two crazy kids that wanted a different life in Oregon and all of that I mean it's a marketer's dream come true it really is Mm -hmm. and you know for better for worse in marketing there are a lot of people who stretch the tooth, bend the truth, twist the truth, etc. and there are sometimes internal and external pressures to, to do so, maybe in larger corporate companies, is to paint that picture. And I got to come and work for a family where that was all real, like it was genuine. And not only the people and the care, but the commitment to sustainability, the commitment to the land, in no way like I've ever seen it before. Um, I had never worked somewhere where my decisions on packaging and label stock could be as equally based in sustainable choices as it was in pricing. Mm -hmm. And that was a game changer for me. Ethically, I think with my own values, um, it was just, it was incredible to land there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt, and Alison Sokolblosser has said this to me before, you know my background and my experience that I was able to bring, while well, getting to learn so much about this industry from them, it was a perfect partnership. It was a perfect situation, um, just in being able to kind of take my career to the next level and and be a part of them taking their winery to the next level. I mean, they celebrated fifty years. They are right this year, and you know the second generation is in leadership. Alex and Allison, they're they're heading the way and yeah it's just it it was incredible um and on top of that landing in this incredible wine community um i've worked in california i've worked in australia i've worked i've experienced other wine regions i've visited i've I've never in my life or my career ever worked in a region where the wine industry was so collaborative not even close to the amount of community that exists here in the Lamma Valley. Um, and it's it's tangible. I mean, from the beginning you realize that this isn't, we're not all competitors with each other. Like we're, we're literally kind of one big happy family. You know, we're not perfect. We have our moments, we have our, but everyone helps each other. And everyone wants to see good things happen. And however they can be a part of that or help Mentor someone or loan them a tractor or bring them information that will help, they do without question. Um, And that was mind blowing to me. It was just amazing, it was just like coming home. And it was just these people are about what I'm about in the wine industry like the real genuine passion for people and community and sharing and land and this beautiful product and wonderful foods and just everything that to me is what life is about. Mm-hmm. I don't care if I never make a million dollars a year. I don't care. It's not why I'm in it. I'm in it for the love, the passion, the life. Um, at the same time, like, holy cow, five years ago, even before then, like seeing what was happening with the Oregon wine industry, the Oregon wine category, the growth, um, you know, the, the price points, the, just the attention, the press coverage. I, 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 if I had a dollar for every time I used the, the phrase fever pitch in my first year, I'm like, we are on the precipice of a fever pitch. Like I can, something's happening right now and there's an energy that's shifting and it's good. It's, it's going to take, I can see it taking Oregon Wine Street to the next level. And to be a part of that, like while it was happening and seeing it around you was so, it is still, because we're still in it, it's so exciting. Um And then on top of that, with the support of the Sokol Blosser family, you know they encouraged me to get out and meet with other marketers in the valley and uh, join a committee for the Willamette Valley Wine Association to give back, but also to learn and to make connections. And they were very supportive of that um, as well as being supportive of my need for night class to go get me, you know, all these just this amazing, I don't know bundle of awesomeness (laughs) and um and so I started getting involved with you know more of my peers and colleagues and again same thing like it wasn't just like this girl that just showed up to Oregon like who the hell are you it was very just what's your story what's your deal what how can you pitch in like Mm -hmm. you know how what can I learn from you how can you help me and it just very welcoming. and that has made all the difference you know The the community not being in my silo mm-hmm. of where I work it's just been really entrenched in that community mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah
1: it's a really good answer
2: uh, 20 minutes later <laughs>
1: <laughs> well it crossed off all the questions I was going to ask so 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 you, you mentioned your your first, kind of your first impression of Oregon wine and your feeling that it was on this sort of precipice mm-hmm. so tell me from your role then at at Soko or at at the time, what did you think your role was in all of that? How did you contribute? How were you going to contribute to something like that?
2: That's a good question. Um, Well, I think there's a few different answers. I think one of them is just the opportunity for the business and for the growth of the business. Um, You know, understanding... What I could bring to the table in terms of my understanding of distribution and mm-hmm. trade marketing um you know I've I'd spent so many t- so much time already in the market traveling different states and doing in-market ride widths and hearing feet on the street how it actually worked um a big part for me that I brought and again people get sick of hearing me say this was the concept of consumer-centric thinking and and strategy; those two things, I think, have were very much ingrained in corporate worlds in a very valuable way. Um, the first consumer-centric thinking. Uh, what I mean by that is, um, you know, storytelling is a huge part of any brand, of any winery. Telling their story, their history, what they do, why they're different. Um, at the end of the day, they're great stories, and they build the foundation. But if we're not thinking about the consumer and where they're coming from, and what their needs and desires are, or what is going to resonate with them, then we've kind of missed the boat. Um, So trying to bring that framework, that framework of thinking like the buyer, thinking of the person who's actually consuming the product, um, making sure, even as we're telling our stories, it's it's done in a way that resonates with them. So that was very important to me. and also the reality of selling a bottle of wine when you're on a hill in a tasting room compared to selling a bottle of wine when you're staying in the back alley, inventory room of Safeway in Detroit, they're two very different things. And it makes it even more important that, that marketing, messaging, brand story, how you cut through in that 20 seconds you might have with that buyer while they're distracted. Um, and again, thinking even of them as the consumer. And Instead of just pushing out your story and hoping they bite, it's what's their situation? What is the category? What, where's the growth? Where are the holes on their shelf? Where are the holes in their list? And that, that type of thinking is them as a the consumer as well. Um, and trying to frame in that. So that's, that's always been a big part for me. Um, and then strategy. That one's, I mean, that's a whole different interview in and of itself, but you know, trying to achieve business goals just looking at the goal is not a strategy the strategy is what you're going to do or stand for to help push towards that goal Mm. and so trying to kind of bring that framework into it um and long-term planning you know i think there's and this is not directed to anyone in this valley but it's just you know the age of reactiveness is over the age of waiting for the next big thing is over. You gotta, you gotta be a little bit ahead of it. You gotta look and see what's happening, what's changing, preferences, trends, and be able to either fill that void if it's true to your brand, or explore how your brand can live in that space. And strategy is really important to me. Um, and then, another huge tool for me, since I've been around, has been social media. And I, I say this respectfully, but honestly, that I remember when social media started getting really big I was in college when Facebook came out um, and I remember you know working out of the office in San Francisco Constellation and you know again I'm this 25 year old random green employee and even then I could see how powerful this tool was. and. We talk a lot about consumer surveys and research and doing market studies and 20 people in a white room somewhere in an office. And I could, uh, this is direct connection. Like this is communication and it's done in a fun, positive, engaging way. Um, I remember my last boss at Constellation, Michelle Perry, uh, when I was managing Franciscan, one day she said, she's like, I'd like you to explore, you know, how we could leverage Facebook for Franciscan. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you, are you asking me to spend my work time that I'm getting paid for to explore Facebook and how we can leverage this? Yeah, sign me up. And, you know, for me, it was getting out of the rut of just telling the same brand winery story over and over again and instead talking about the behind the scenes and talking about what happens in the production room mm-hmm. and talking about the lab. And instead of it being this like behind the curtain, secretive thing, opening the curtain and letting people see behind it, it was like black and white, so much more effective and engaging, mm-hmm. you know, understanding the ins and the outs and the hows and the how it's made, it's whatever. Um, and I brought that passion with me to Soka Blosser. And, you know, Allison and Alex. Uh, so supportive and uh, you know when they identify a strength in in one of their staff they will do anything they can to help foster that or you know even if it's a different role in the company whatever so unlike my corporate life where anything that was going to be public to the world would have to go through eight layers of approval you know Allison said she's like I trust you do you know do what you think is right if I see something that I hate I'll let you know but they trusted me mm-hmm. and they just let me go um, to just be out there as a brand. And um, that was a big game changer in my career as well, because you know you could start to see the leverage that a small producer could have in that space that wasn't happening at corporate or wasn't happening well at the corporate level. Um, Again, going back to when I was at Constellation, I worked on a brand that only made 150,000 cases, and so the limited resources they had in the digital department were not given to my brands. They were, you know, the big customer-centric retail brands. Um, But at Circle Blosser, you have the most amazing content at your fingertips at all times. Like, I mean, you just turn around and you have 20 different pictures of things to show off and whatever. Um, as well as being able to tell this really personal, humble story of the family and and why we care about the soil that we plant our vines in and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that became a very big part of kind of my focus and my passion and digital in general. Mm -hmm. I've always had a huge interest in digital, the power of digital. Um, Having worked in traditional space and paper POS and store stuff, seeing this incredible tool as a marketer, it's, like, I mean, it's been a marketer's dream. Um, and so while still working at Circle Bloster, I started working with Oregon Pinot Camp and doing social media work for them, uh, you know, event-based or uh, just general, general Blim Valley social media stuff and just trying to bring what I could perceive to be real and trends to kind of the forefront in those types of conversations as well. Um, and it sounds trite, but the way that social media has grown over the past 20, almost 20 years, um, and where it is today, for better or for worse, uh, it's, it's incredible. It's a very, very, very powerful tool. It can be used for good or bad. Um, but that, that just became a very big passion point for me. Um, and kind of led to where I ended up taking my career and creating my own business, um, less the social media side and just more digital in general. And digital marketing and marketing today and where we are and what matters and what works and what doesn't type thing. Um, again, long-winded answer to that.
1: That's the again, that's that. the whole goal. So, so, and I
2: probably bring a lot of brutal honesty too. Wow. I've, I've been, I'm a very honest person you've been accused
1: of honesty I've been accused
2: of honesty when you work in corporate you can't not be honest and you can't not be direct when you're standing there talking to eight exec committee members and they're you know asking the ins and outs of your brands and what your profit margin is on this product and this portfolio and you have to know uh, you you learn to cut through be direct be honest call people out etc so I bring no one will ever wonder what I'm Thinking. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right way to put it or not, but and I, I say that because you know sometimes there's tough conversations that have to be had.
1: Well, let's talk about the next step then. Let's yeah. talk about you starting your own business and, yeah. and where, what the kind of initial goals, genesis of the idea was, and, and how it's grown from there.
2: Yeah. Um, so I knew part of my wanting to go back to grad school and study, um, or my MBA was you know as we talked about before my path to wine marketing was not a formula it was just very much that natural journey that i think a lot of people take um all well and good it did mean that there were just some some fundamentals that i knew i needed to to really learn such as finance and accounting and and those types of things that i think are so they are so critical to the the living breathing business um because I knew, even at my first interview at Sokol Blosser, and they asked my five year, 10 year plan, I was like, I know that I wanna start a business at some point, I don't know when that will be, I don't know what it will be, what that looks like, uh, but that's what my goal is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, first interview at a potential new job and you're already telling them about your next job. Um, and again, Allison, Alex, so supportive. They were like, cool. Thanks for being transparent. Like, awesome. This is great. Like, how can we work together? How can we do this? How can we, you know, like, let's help each other out type stuff. Um, so I had spent about four years working there. I'd finished my MBA the year before. Um, and I still haven't found a way to express this doesn't sound really cheesy so bear with me um soko blaster is one of the larger wineries in oregon and um you know they have an incredible staff and they have the ability and the size to warrant a marketing department right so and and mind you our marketing department was myself and caitlin chauver she was you know my, my marketing coordinator and so that was the department you know, and I come from a marketing department of 20, 30 people um, at corporate. But I say that because not a lot of wineries in this valley can't do that. They can't have a marketing team of two. They can't maybe even have a full-time marketer. Um, and sometimes they, there is a whole scale of marketing, right, in terms of knowledge and expertise. And um, my experience and background and what I could bring to the table which I know is is helpful and valuable to an extent, I wanted the ability to help more wineries. Mm-hmm. And I wanted the ability to um, share my experience in a beneficial way to these businesses, these small businesses, these family owned businesses. Um, because one thing I did learn in wow. my first few years here is all of the incredible stories of winery—I mean, you know, you're an archivist—all the incredible stories around this valley, past and present. Mm-hmm. And when you're here, you get to hear them, and you talk to the people, you get to hear them. But stories that just like need to be shared with the world, and and that consumers want to know about, and helping marketing—I feel a big part is helping bridge that gap mm-hmm. between the physical home. The consumer market, how it's not just, you know, it's not exploiting consumers. It's how can we meet people where they want what we have. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I wanted to be able to to do more and help more wineries. And, um, yeah, so that was kind of my impetus mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to do that and to kind of, you know, take the risk of what that looks like in consulting life and, um, and once again, had nothing but support from the Sokol Blossers, you know, when when I shared my news with them and that this is kind of, I've figured out what I want my next step to be. And, and mind you, every year leading up to that moment at my annual review, Alice would ask me, she's like, so where are you, been, where are you? Like, what are you thinking? Just honesty, mm-hmm. being open, mm-hmm. not being scared I'm going to be fired or, you know, her hopefully not being scared that I'm going to leave them high and dry. Mm-hmm. Um... And just that kind of a working relationship, and openness, and how it helps everyone—super cheesy, I know. Um, and yeah, that was kind of my my pivotal moment. And I'm, the sentence after I told in my news, she was already saying, "I'm going to hire you as a consultant." So it was just—it was like that relationship was there, and and that trust, and and you know, she understood I wanted to take that to the next level, and. Yeah, just nothing but support and encouragement. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing that for the past, gosh, almost two years, two years in August, um, just being an independent consultant to wineries, but also wine tangential uh, bodies here. You know, I, I still work with, I work with Salud now. I, I've worked with IPNC in the past. You know, I work with Glen Valley and Oregon Wine Board. and. Um, and just being able to bring kind of my business marketing know-how as well as kind of my strategic perspective Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as well as just digital marketing and social and all of all of those things that i've grown up with Mm -hmm. and that just untapped potential of what it can do Mm -hmm. um has been a really big focus for me and Uh, ways in which that I could bring that value to businesses, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense.
1: Mm -hmm. Talk about the logistics a little bit. Tell me about uh, uh, sort of name, mission and and finding clients.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, Well, first of all, the first thing you learn when you work in the wine industry, you never burn a bridge. You just don't. Um, This industry is too small. This community is too tight. And Uh, That's something I learned very early on. So relationship building and relationship maintaining has always been incredibly important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, My involvement with the industry and various committees and wine symposium, et cetera, just meant I got to meet so many cool people um, as peers, as people I looked up to, business owners, winemakers, um, that when I decided to make that step, um, you know, I... My not having burned bridges has worked really really well in my favor, and um, that coupled with effectiveness of what I can bring to the table, um, my community supports me. My, compu- my clients recommend me to other wineries, and um, there's a lot of word of mouth, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of... Um, there aren't a lot of marketing consultants around here either, too, so not only is there a need, but there's just a lot of opportunity. Um, And again, as a consultant, they don't need to worry about hiring someone full time with full package benefits, et cetera. They can can work with what they have and and what they need. Um, And so I haven't, in all honesty, done a ton of outbound. um, I haven't had a need to really throw myself out there to to look for new business. it's been predominantly connections I either have or introductions from people I work with mm-hmm. or people I have worked with as well um, and you know there's been some very punctuated incidents like I led a panel at no no I was on the panel for an Oregon wine symposium presentation in February, and it was all about digital marketing and how to leverage advertising digital social media advertising to help support your business and just kind of like shared my knowledge and shared things that i work on behind the scenes um that people either don't have time for or they don't know how to do it um and let's talk facebook for a second like facebook changes the things every day they change the structure the tool the button all the time um Because I had been so entrenched in that world for so many years and grew up, grew up in Facebook advertising and going to, I mean, I remember the earliest days of advertising compared to where it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know the phrase, but you kind of have to be in it every day to understand how it's evolving and changing. And so people who aren't in it as much as I am or when they think of it, it's so overwhelming. It's so complicated. It's not perfect, and it glitches all the time. Um, and so I had led this pan- or been on this panel, not only sharing, like, hey, these are the things that you probably don't know you can do that you can do, or these are the people you can target. This is how you can speak to consumers who care about what you have. Um, sharing that knowledge and encouraging people, you know, don't just wait till you have time. Like this is core. Uh, to your business, um, that led to a lot of conversations and client work mm-hmm. and kind of ongoing relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and not without, uh, what needs to be mentioned is COVID. And, you know, whereas before COVID, a lot of businesses knew they need to focus on digital and they were investing in digital, you know, at Sokol Blosser, we had been building e comm for years and all DTC and digital and just trying different things and pulling levers and seeing, and, and really investing the time and the human resources into that, mm-hmm. that when COVID came, someone like the Sokol Blossers were, were a few steps ahead than those who maybe never got to the marketing mm-hmm. or never got to the digital. Mm-hmm. Um, and when COVID came around, that wasn't gonna fly anymore. And overnight, some people had to figure out how their business was gonna survive. And you know, if they've, they're a small producer that you know, doesn't have national distribution or has focused really hard in building their brand in the Portland on-premise market and all bars and restaurants are closed, I mean, it was a reckoning for a lot of people. And it, um, the smart ones realized very quickly that they needed to address and they needed to act fast um, in, in that pivot, in that instantaneous pivot. And so a lot of my clients came around that time mm-hmm. and since then um, in trying to build their e com trying to build their digital presence, bringing their website up to date, you know, having a digital overall digital strategy, digital marketing strategy plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that comes branding and marketing and identity and all of those things that, that need to be kind of solidified to, to do any of that. Um, and so, you know, not only has it been so rewarding to be able to help and to like bring that knowledge and skill. And, you know, if I get a call from a client or an owner, that's, you know, we've never met and we're just having a call and they're just so frustrated and they're so and They're like, I can't, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I don't, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And just my ability to say like, Hey, I can guide you. I can teach you. I can, you know, be support to your in-house coordinator that maybe doesn't know this stuff and I can work with them as a team or I can just do it for you like that and just taking that off their plate and and helping them focus on where they need to be focusing in the business while knowing that stuff is being built. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been incredibly rewarding and validating and, um, you know, in a way probably more meaningful than a lot of my previous work has been um because it was literally business critical um during covid mm-hmm. right um and then also I'm not I'm not going to deny it opportunity right and with this being such a passion of mine before it was widespread and my interest in it and a lot of people who are just are not interested in it, they know they need to do it, but they may not have a personal passion. Mm -hmm. Um, there's just a lot of opportunity. And so, um, I've been very fortunate that there has been good and horrible things that have come out of COVID. And for me and my business and my clients, it's been, it's just, yeah, it's mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm. Put it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so also, I just love being my own boss, so that's nice. <laughs> having my schedule, working when I want to work and, you know, yeah.
3: What,
1: what do you, what do you look for in a client and, and what are they looking for in you?
2: Shared values, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, I think even before COVID, the importance of values based business, um, ethics based business, um, instead of only solely focusing on profit-based business, Um, having similar uh, perspectives and beliefs in terms of what doing business well looks like or doing business right looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think sometimes even to the political extent, you know, and just those kinds of all-encompassing values and what's important and why we're in this industry and why will we do what we do type thing um so honesty and having really transparent conversations about struggles and passions and hates and all of that Mm -hmm. um and sometimes there's even potential clients where it isn't a good fit and you know whether i can recognize that i can't bring them the value maybe that they're looking to get out of my time or vice versa um just being honest and trusting the universe like I'm I'm just I'm not a I'm not a I'm I'm a driven person I'm a stubborn person and once I make my mind I've made my mind but I also like don't need to cram reality you know I I do trust the universe to do help me do what I meant to do Mm -hmm. um so whereas maybe um other people might see starting a business as a huge risk or I mean I had people say stuff like oh it's so brave it's like what are you talking about like this that doesn't resonate with me because it was just like this is exciting this is cool this is fun and that's similar to what a lot of people were driven by when they developed these wineries when they planted those vines you know, they didn't know in the seventies when they planted tons of acres of vines what the heck was gonna happen. They they did their research, they had scientific studies, they felt confident there were similarities to Burgundy that you know there was there was all of this book institutionalized reason as to why, but they were all taking these big risks. And that is very inspiring to me. Um, and I think what I've often learn from that is by not just focusing on exactly to what you're going towards, or forcing it and letting it happen. Uh, it it works out. It really does work out. Um, yeah. Did I answer that question? Yeah. Okay. Thank
3: you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Obviously, Covid was only a part of 2020 Mm -hmm. so let's talk about the other part of 2020 the one that is I'm sure you're still dealing with and the the fires around harvest so tell me Mm -hmm. about what what you were what you needed to do kind of at the time for your clients and what you've had to do since to help with with uh, all the kind of the after effects of that
2: absolutely um oh man okay so I think well, first and foremost, I should say, I live in McMinnville. I moved to McMinnville about four years ago, four and a half. Um, I'm a part of the community. I live in the, in the county. I own a home there. You know, it's it's to be in the midst of it as things are happening, to look out my window and to see the blood red skies. And you can't help but wonder what's happening to the vineyards and to the grapes and to the buildings and the wineries, et cetera. Um, so... That was, I mean, I, I remember explicitly there were certain events or bottlings that were supposed to happen that had to be canceled last minute, and you know couldn't be outside to go check on things, whatnot. So some of it is honestly just support and to be the listening ear, and to see where I could jump in and help, um, see how you know get on the same page about our messaging. You know, if we're getting questions from the media, if consumers are asking, et cetera, You know what what are we saying what what's our stance where where um you know walking that balance between honesty but also not you know shooting the future selves in the foot with the 2020 vintage um you know i think at the time too we were very deep into salute planning mode for the november auction and so this would have been you know was it end august early september last year and so we had a, a huge series of uh, winemaker virtual conversations with consumers, bidders, media, and you know the nature of salute is that the wine that's being bid on is from the year prior, so it's twenty nineteen but it was the fires were happening while we were having those calls, so you know we had to be aligned on kind of what that messaging looks like, um, not denying it, but also being very very clear that. It, we're figuring out the effects as we go, and we don't know yet. Um, we don't even know in the future what that will look like. Um, but eh, people don't make crap wine in Willamette Valley. It was not going to be good. I mean, people take that risk, and I have yet to hear of, of anyone who hasn't had to make a tough decision like that around here um i mean speaking to my clients specifically i have clients that have been extremely lucky and the vineyards they own or source from were in one of those pockets that just wasn't as smoky or didn't have fire pressure um you know they get the breeze of the van duser corridor and that's made all the difference um i've had other clients who were able to pick before fires i've had other clients who just know they're going to have a reduced pinot noir vintage for 2020 um from a business standpoint a marketing standpoint in the moment it was very hard tug on the heartstrings you know those pictures were so dramatic and while treading carefully not to just show Destruction and fire everywhere and freak everyone out. You know, there was something poignant about sharing these images and sharing the story of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you go back to social media. Like, what other avenue can you as the brand or you as the marketer control the narrative of what's happening to you um, than social media directly to your consumers? And so on social media and just fielding questions or fielding comments, it was all from a place of care and concern you know, everyone, media, consumers, et cetera, was just like, is everyone okay? Like, is anything damaged? Is the lambo like gone? You know, it just, it was very, it was very real and very human. Um, I think that even the media has been very conscientious instead of just being nasty about it or making grand sweeping proclamations about what this is going to mean for the vintage. Um, I know that there will be that. I'm sure when some of these wines come out, there are going to be major wine publications that write things about the vintage, Um, good and bad. Mm -hmm. Um, At the end of the day, if we can have that direct dialogue with consumers and our buyers and our media, we'll be all the better for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a conversation with a client yesterday who, you know, knock on wood, he's like, the wines are in barrel and looking okay so far you know it, it we're gonna have to keep trialing and making decisions and decisions right before bottling and periodic testing after tasting after bottling um but the gratitude when it hasn't affected a client as well as the clients who just they know it has happened and they know what the sacrifice is going to mean and it sucks but they can't change it and they know that. Um, so how do we market and message it in a positive, productive way? How can we use it to the business's advantage? Mm-hmm. Have, you had, have you been running long on inventory for the last three years? Well, guess what? <laughs> we just found your solution. Have you been looking for a justifiable reason to raise price for a decade? Well, guess what? You have constrained supply. Mm-hmm. And so how can I help with that method of thinking from a sales and marketing perspective um, at recognizing and, and capitalizing on some of those opportunities as well. Um, in odd ways, COVID and the move to digital and the move to delivery and the move to e-com, and the move to virtual probably saved some potential danger in September, mm-hmm. you know?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It wasn't just reliance on the taste rooms by that point anymore. It wasn't reliance on visitorship. I, I can't even, I don't even, September wineries were still open. They closed down again for a few months, mm-hmm. but um yeah mm-hmm. and then also i don't know if ironic's the right word but even in the six years i've been here just seeing the changes in the weather pattern um you know let's say prior to 2010 kind of the general statement about oregon wine is we let the vintages express itself we don't have a house style that we force no matter what we we like the vintage variation and that's part of our identity when i've been here since 2015 it's been a a string of consistently good vintages over and over and over and over again you know i mean we've had a rainy year but not this year but previous years but um the positive potential impacts of climate change that have helped with some of that stylistic um characteristics that are consumer friendly have worked to a favor but then we also have Greater fire pressure than we've ever had before, and we've seen what's happened in Napa and the Glass Fire, and and all of that. And you know, we're in it now. I mean, we experience it here now. Mm-hmm. We had what 114 degrees three weeks ago in June. Um, it's it's a real thing.
1: Let's talk about the industry a bit, and I know you're still still not not a long-term Oregon resident yet, mm-hmm. but I'm, but you've obviously seen some changes. So tell me. Tell me where Oregon wine stands now compared to when you got here, whether it was any of the changes you've seen and, and what you see next to the industry, what, 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 as it comes out of the pandemic and and, and comes off of a rough vintage, what, what do you see for the near and kind of long-term future?
2: Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I have to say that, um, the prominence of female winemakers here is incredible. Um, you can't count them on two hands, you know? I mean, it's it's uh, it's so incredible to witness even that shift in my career of, you know, a female winemaker being uh, a rarity um, to, I think that, it, I mean, it's close to, I think it's like somewhere similar between males and female winemakers in here in the Lamb Valley. So um, as a woman that is very, awesome for me to see and encouraging etc I think our reckoning with racism over the past I mean the history of this country but um, very real and present front and center um, over the last couple of years has been like I said a reckoning and a a very real thing that is now finally being talked about and discussed at length Um, which is in some ways similar to what this industry felt like when I started in it as it relates to females Mm -hmm. you know it was still like there's there's just some stuff that still exists in this industry that it's mind-blowing but then you just bring on the lack of diversity layer too so um, being able to see that be at the forefront of conversation and recognizing shortcomings and talking about what we can do to be better and um you know I think I said earlier the word luxury I don't like a lot of what the word luxury means today and when I was 22 it was because it was so exclusionary to so many people myself having you know being one of them at 22 and you know when asked what do your friends do about wine one of the thing It's like yeah it's an old you know it's it's like a it's a it's a more mature beverage there aren't people that are really talking to my generation you know i'm i'm an older millennial and right on the top end um and they weren't there wasn't yet that voice of that consumer that is so huge of our market um we weren't being talked to or being ignored you know i've gotten sorry snobbery walking into napa valley tasting rooms even though i worked in the wine industry i mean just like weird stuff like that was all all present um and this is not at all to equate my experience with those of the bipoc community by any means um but just like a little bit of a taste or an understanding of even of the tip of the iceberg of, of their experience mm-hmm. um so We have a lot of work to do and I think a lot of people are still learning what we need to do, but it's out in the open now Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, no longer is there this archetype picture of what a wine consumer or a winery owner looks like anymore. Um, You know, things that have previously been frowned upon or you know, we're better than, or we are more premium of a product than or whatever. I mean, none of that has ever resonated with me. And in fact, I think has shot the industry in the foot in many ways in the past. You're ostracizing so many, Um, race is a huge part of it. Like if you are, if you have this narrow view of what wine is or what wine means, then you're, you're excluding a lot of humans, but also you're excluding a lot of potential consumers. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really totally answer that question.
1: yet. Fantastically. It's just a big one. Let's talk about, let's talk about what's next. Well,
2: another one I want to just to call out sure. though is LGBTQ mm-hmm. and we just finished last month. We had wine country pride here in the Valley and, um, for an entire industry, a huge portion of our local industry to recognize that community in a way that's beneficial and celebrating is amazing. And to say I live in the wine region that created Wine Country Pride, I mean, that's amazing. That's incredible. And it's, it's just, it's so encouraging. It's so where I think the future of the wine industry should have been going for a while and finally is. Um, it's about the people. It's about community it's about togetherness, it's not about excluding people because of their personal identity or because, guess what, not everyone can afford a $300 bottle of wine. Um, Being inclusionary, I think, is just the future, and I think it's smart business, and it's way more fun than being around people who are all the same. And I just don't like snobbery, so I'm on a permanent, individual, personal mission to fight snobbery in wine.
1: It's an excellent mission for your business. It's, like a you know, it's, it's, it's,
2: a, it's a job security oh, right wow. there. <laughs>
1: like,
2: um, that, that too. Uh, but otherwise, I, I, I do think the wine industry is incredibly well positioned um, in terms of current consumer trends. Mm-hmm. So people care about sustainability now. People care about business ethics, how you treat your staff. Um, people care about where the product comes from. People care about supporting ethical businesses and they will pay for those things. And I don't just mean that from paying a higher price point, but meaning the concept of value Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what people value has shifted in a way that is so beneficial to the wine industry, especially for those who recognize it, um, because that's our DNA. Like we couldn't make wine without this dirt. so I just, I think we're so well positioned, well poised, not only trend, but long term um, to that, mm-hmm. to that living, breathing product of the land.
1: So what about for your future now? You've got a, you've got a business, you're just getting started. You're, you're, you dealt with quite a year in your first full yeah. year, for first full year in it. Yeah. Tell me what comes next for you.
2: What comes next? Well, my clients come first, always. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, I'm happy where I am right now. I'm, I'm happy to be on the path I'm on. Um, I'm happy to just see so many fresh perspectives come to the industry, both as a whole, but locally. Um, I love this industry so much, and I really could not imagine being in a different industry. Um, you know, whether that means I wanna build an agency of fifty people to support the entire region or I wanna be able to help one on one, I haven't yet figured it out. Mm-hmm. I haven't really decided. Um, but I just wanna keep doing what I'm doing and helping people and yeah.
1: Any any sort of milestones or goals, either personally and professionally, things you're looking ahead to?
2: That's a really good question. You know, I've I've always I had my thing to look forward to get to where I'm now and I haven't really totally thought ahead to what that is yet maybe I don't know if that's a bad thing to say um but also I don't really have an exit plan right now because I just love it I just I mean as long as I can keep contributing to the industry and being helpful I think this is where I'll be um I've I've never bought a house until I moved to Lama Valley, you know, I've put down roots myself as with my family, mm-hmm. um, and just being around it and being amongst it. Um, I just, I just want to keep giving back to the industry because the industry's done so much for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to be able to help mentor people like people mentored me, you know, people new to the industry or trying to figure out their path or intimidated, overwhelmed by wine knowledge or... The complexities of this industry um just being able to pay it forward i think will be important for me Mm -hmm. but um career business wise i don't Mm -hmm. i see i'm in it for the long haul for sure
1: so if someone were to come to you and ask for your advice or your words of wisdom on on getting into the industry or 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 doing something similar to what you're doing Mm -hmm. what would you tell them
2: um honestly I would probably tell them to use their resources i really would you know it's it's look around you and identify and articulate what matters to you identify and articulate what you think you're interested in identify people who you can reach out to whether it's a friend of a family member or a cold call message on linkedin um you know having the gumption to reach out to people with no expectation and with nothing but respect and just asking um, and putting yourself out there. Um, I would never be where I am if it weren't for the people that have helped me get here. Um, So those strong connections, those strong avenues um, of people who care like this <laughs> you know they're they're a really good asset and don't burn a bridge never burn a freaking bridge in this industry doesn't matter how important you think you are or how successful you think you are it will bite you in the short or long term um, and I don't mean don't post stuff on social media I mean post everything on social media but the relationships the one-on- ones the the people you work for or with or admire or respect um, always remember that bridge keep that bridge for sure and have fun have fun i mean like what's the point of life you can't have fun and enjoy it enjoy it as you're doing it and knowing that it won't always work out perfectly and 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 knowing that there will be hiccups and stumbles and mistakes and errors and like that's okay and that's good um but at the end of the day if you're not laughing and having fun in the wine industry then you're doing something seriously wrong because that's what this is all about. We are not saving lives we're enhancing lives. Um, so yeah, use your resources. Google's helpful too <laughs>
1: so just, just another resource
2: Just another resource, you know So yeah yeah if I think of any other zingers, I'll let you know but I mean that's a that's important.
1: I mean you got to copyright some of these at some point, right? I,
2: right it's on camera now. <laughs> First usage right there. <laughs>
1: Well, that's all the questions that I have for you today, Vanessa. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have, anything we didn't cover here today that we should have covered?
2: I don't think so. I will will say one thing, and this isn't really my story, but just kind of something that's important to me. Something very interesting about the wine industry is that no matter what books you read, what movies you see, what courses you study, what online forum you learn about wine from, understanding a wine region, understanding wine production, understanding this community, like you have to physically visit. You have to go to those places. You have to see it. You have to touch the soil. Um, And that's something that digital will never replace. Um, That has been so challenging with COVID in terms of that inability and travel um, that I just, I encourage people to get out, explore, ask for those three weeks off, no matter what America tells you otherwise, the company will survive and you will be better for it and thus you will be a better worker for it. Um, I could rattle off about a hundred of those like isms, but once you work in Australia you learn how to have work life balance. It's very different. So, yeah.
1: Fantastic. Come to Whamba Valley. <laughs> I mean of <laughs> it's course. Pretty gorgeous. We should we really should any every every interview that way. I like. know, right? <laughs> <laughs> don't necessarily stay but, yeah. but at least come visit
2: though how many people do have that story came for a visit came for Oregon Pinot camp eight years later i here still here yeah it's, it's it's magical it's absolutely magical so and the more that we can do to maintain it the more that we can do to diversify it the more that we can do to further inclus inclusify have better inclusivity the more people get to enjoy this respectfully so yeah Sweet.
1: Well, thank you so much for your yeah. time today for setting us up with this beautiful space yes. for the interview and uh, for your great stories and answers. And we're okay. going to go ahead and let you off the hook. All right. Thank, thank you so much.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at oregonwinehistoryarchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more and stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University, with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.